0: You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 9:50 a.m. and 9:30 a.m. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in
1: Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office. I'm glad to be with you today. Every Saturday, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. We began our program this week with the conversation that Catholic Chicago host Father Greg Sackwitz had with Cardinal Blaise Cupich. They spoke about the struggles the entire country is facing right now and the Catholic response. Let's listen in. Cardinal
2: Supich, good morning and welcome.
3: Thank you, Father Greg, for having me.
2: Oh, thank you for being here with us. I know it's been a busy time for you, a very difficult time. And maybe you want to just start off with this question for you, and that is, uh, you know, what are your thoughts and reactions with what's going on the last several days? You know, just maybe your initial comments.
3: Well, as I mentioned in my uh, statement, but also in the article that's going to be uh, published in the uh, Chicago Catholic, uh, this is really an opportunity, I think, for all of us to uh, make sure that we, first of all, cleanse any uh, virus of uh, racism in our hearts, because that's where it starts. And it's important for us to take responsibility individually, but then also as a nation. Uh, we're better than this. And uh, the outrage and uh, hurt and anger uh, that people have at the death of George Floyd, the way it was done so very casually, as his life didn't matter, Um, is really uh, something that is shared by people across all all racial lines. And I think it's it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on that. And we also, I think, have to um, see how is it that we're going to come together as a nation. Yesterday I was with uh, a group of African-American leaders uh, with the governor, and I I was really touched by the, the strong voices of young black men we're getting up in front of the media and saying to uh, uh, people who were doing the looting, um, "You are damaging our neighborhoods." Uh, one of them told me that uh, his grandmother can't get medication anymore because wow. the drugstore is gone in the neighborhood. Uh, hmm. Grocery stores and so on, where people depended on for day-to-day activity, and so th- there really is, I think, an opportunity for us. Uh, yes, to uh, to ask people to demonstrate peacefully, as most of them are, but also to realize that we have a lot of cleanup to do. and we have we have well, there is a pathway forward. We can bring about equality in this country. Uh, it's a long overdue, but we have to roll up our sleeves and be ready to do that.
2: And you hit on so many good points yesterday during the uh, press conference. and you know, I'm all for peaceful protesting. You know that's the first Amendment. We have that right. And that can be a strong voice in there, but I'm always saying to people, there's no room for destruction and looting, you know, as we move forward. Now, as the leader of the Catholic Church in the archdiocese, as the Archbishop, what can our church do in times like these in terms of reaching out to people?
3: Well, we already, of course, are doing a lot. I was just talking to a number of the pastors who are uh, 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 the ones who are sponsoring uh, food pantries around uh, the the archdiocese uh... and also with catholic charities they're doing quite a bit as well i think we have to meet the immediate needs right now of people uh... where within these areas where there are no grocery stores anymore we have to beef up our food pantries uh... we're asking people to help uh, donate to catholic charities the emergency fund of the archdiocese to make sure that people do not go hungry in our city but we also i think uh... need to uh... stand with our people in this moment and uh, advocate for the justice that's needed to overcome uh, the social ills that uh, really are at the base of this moment, huh? And the outrage that's there, and the reason why people are protesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just cannot raise our voices. We have to have solid uh, pieces of legislation that bring about equality. Uh, yesterday, I was asked about what is it that the church can do? And I mentioned you know our food pantries and so on, but I also said, that one of the best anti-poverty programs we have in this city and in the state is our Catholic school education. We educate many kids of, across racial lines of uh, all faiths and none and give them an opportunity for the future. Uh, our Catholic <clears throat> schools are at the forefront of ending poverty in pockets of neighborhoods around, around uh, the state. And uh, so I, I would just make sure that I would like to make sure that there really is equal access to quality education for young people.
2: Say more about the Catholic Charities and the great work they have done even before the whole start of this.
3: Well, of course, they're, they're in neighborhoods helping uh, uh, with parenting developing parenting skills for people, the uh, work that they do in supporting those who are in recovery from addictions. Uh, we have uh, many counseling programs that uh, help with moments of domestic violence, uh, there are, of course, uh, assistance to, to people with regard to housing and uh, job uh, relocation. Uh, the uh, uh, immediate needs that are met through uh, uh, food pantries around, uh, around that are coordinated. Uh, every every uh, day we feed uh, thousands of people. Uh, I was just talking to one of the pastors who told me that he expects uh, this week, uh, when they open their food pantry, they'll have 1,000 families come wow. for food. Uh, simply because there, there are no stores. So uh, across the line, uh, what we're doing through Catholic Charities, through our parishes, through all of our agencies, uh, the work that we're doing for, at, at Mercy Home uh, that uh, mm-hmm. uh, Father Scott's doing, uh, that uh, Sister Rosemary is doing at Misericordia, uh, that, uh, that we have at Maryville, uh, all of these uh, build a social network by which uh, we're able to touch the lives of m- a million people every year uh, throughout, the, throughout the metropolitan area who are really in need, uh, and we should be proud of that, but we, we need to redouble
2: our efforts now. A question for you, uh, Cardinal Subich, and that is uh, the death of George Floyd did not happen in a vacuum, but speaks to a wider, longer, long-term issue. Speak more about the social ills that you spoke about yesterday and also your comments a few minutes ago.
3: Well, I, of course, we realize that people feel as though they don't have a, a place at the table, uh, not only in terms of sometimes the way that they are treated in, this, in the criminal justice program, where uh, people of color are uh, prosecuted for crimes that white people are not. There seems to be an equal, uh, unequal way of justice being distributed, mm-hmm. but there's also a, a lack of opportunity. Um, uh, uh, joblessness. The, the coronavirus have thrown 40 million people out of work. Majority of those people are people of color. And there are folks who now have uh, maybe have had some gains, but now they're, they're all lost. And so uh, there really is a sense of desperation out there on the part of people. But it's also uh, not only in terms of jobs, but it's also uh, the opportunity for uh, quality education, quality health care. Here, the COVID uh, uh, virus is impacting uh, uh, black and Hispanic people Mm -hmm. to a larger disproportionate uh, way than anybody else. And it's because there are underlying health concerns that have not been treated simply because people don't have access to quality health care. So we have a full range of inequality that we have to correct uh, if we're really going to uh, deal with this.
2: Now, how do you how do you begin addressing what you just said?
3: Well, I think, first of all, uh, we, ha- we have to have a full-blown effort in which we're going to help rebuild, especially the small businesses of people of color who, that have been damaged in, in the riots and the looting. I think we, we really have to make sure that there is, the governor is, has declared uh, the state a disaster, or the Chicago area a disaster area, Cook County, and is asking for federal funds to help rebuild. We need to do that. That's, that's an immediate way. The other is that uh, we have to have ways in which people do have uh, a, a chance to, to have quality education in their neighborhoods. I've always advocated for school choice, mm-hmm. not, not, not in a way to defend the Catholic school system, but in order to leverage the great contribution the Catholic school uh, system makes in society. And so that's why we've had the tax credit scholarships. We've looked for ways in which a low-income people can have a choice of, of education. Uh, that that's a big the, the other is we have to have we have to have some sort of and they're talking about it now um, a, a rebuilding uh, an, of the infrastructure uh, to create some jobs uh, by uh, programs much like was done during the time of the great depression mm-hmm. we need to put people to work we need to give them uh, a sense of their dignity of work there are too many people who are unemployed young people who have no hope for the future um, and, and then I think uh, the, other, the other part of it is that w- we need to um, make sure that we uh, uh, ensure that health care is a basic human right. It's not a consumer good uh, for those who are privileged to be able to afford it. Uh, it should be a basic human right. We've always said that in the church, and we have to pass uh, laws that, in fact,
2: uh, affect that. How, how do you get at systemic change? I mean, it's almost like tackling fog. We can talk about uh, distributive justice, which is easy or easier. But just talk for for a moment, Cardinal Supich, about systemic change and what that means.
3: Well, of course, systemic change starts in the heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, That's why uh, I equated uh, the coronavirus with the virus of racism. Uh, It starts in each one of us, and we pass it on. Uh, We pass it on to our children. Uh, We pass it on in our homes. Uh, Children don't wake up racist. Uh, They -hmm. learn it. And I think that we have to, we have to, uh, we have to really uh, uh, make sure that it, it has no place in our homes. The other thing is, I've called for a national reconciliation. You know, uh, we have never taken account of the injury and the wound that's done to uh, Black Americans and to the nation, uh, the soul of the nation, uh, through uh, through slavery. Uh, when, when the Germans um, ended Second World War and they saw the huge wound that Nazism has created and what it did to the Jewish people and in uh, the Shoah, what they did was to have an a- an active way in which they reconciled with the Jewish people and they look for ways in which there could be a real healing take place. We did this also. This was also done in South uh, South Africa and Rwanda. We need to take up the work of national reconciliation and reconcile our effect, the ills of slavery, which we have never taken account of and, and, and held ourselves responsible for, because it has an effect even to this day. 400 years ago, when those first slave ships docked on our continent, that's when it all started, and we mm-hmm. have never healed that wound.
2: Which anything that goes back then 400 years now. You know, we can talk about peaceful protests, and I was very impressed a couple of days ago with the protest started at uh, Lakeshore Drive in Belmont and moved west. Yesterday, by Wrigley Field and coming south. And but so then you look at a protest peaceful like that and then destructive violence. So, and from a Catholic perspective, from a human perspective, what is the proper response, the proper perspective we should place on the death of George Floyd?
3: Well, I think that uh, you hit, hit it so right. Uh, this is where we need to keep the attention. But let's point out, and let's be honest yes, there was terrible destruction, looting, and crime that went on. But the vast majority of the of the people marching in the streets today were peaceful. Mm-hmm. And and they want they want action. I'm also impressed by the fact that if you look at these crowds, they're for the most part young people and they're not all just African Americans.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: There are a lot of white faces there. There are young Many white people, faces. There are young people today who understand that they don't want to have to revisit this same kind of violence and uproar and civil unrest. Uh, 20 years from now, I grew up and you grew up in the 60s and the 70s when we had a lot of civil unrest. And we thought maybe we had tackled these these problems. We have not. These young people are saying to themselves, are we? is this our future? Is this the way we're going to do this? Or are we going to do something now constructive so that this does not continue?
2: There's a great story that uh, near the cathedral, uh, a building had been vandalized terribly on Saturday night, and the owner of the building on early, early Sunday morning was cleaning up the inside of it. And this is a block from the cathedral. Some of the protesters from the night before who were protesting peacefully came over and helped him clean out the building. And he said, I, he said, Greg, I was so impressed by that. On Sunday morning, they joined me for three hours. Peaceful protesters from the night before saw the damage to my building, and they helped clean me, clean me up that morning, he said. That sticks in my mind. So just what you're saying, many, many of these people are very peaceful. Just to continue the um, conversation, Cardinal Blaise, and that is uh, the press conference yesterday with the various speakers, you included, you made some great comments. I want you to maybe talk about this one line you gave yesterday. Racism is the red thread that runs through the binding that holds America back from reaching the, its promise, equality and justice for all. Say more about that.
3: Well you see that uh, the history of our country uh, there is not an era in which racism has not held us back. Uh, when you think about uh, what happened after the Second World War with the Jim Crow laws, uh, the way people were oppressed, we had a huge migration of people coming from the south uh, into metropolitan areas here and we were uh, then uh, not prepared for it. There were there were laws in where, which people could move and could not do until anti-segregation uh, efforts were taking place, uh, the lack of ability to have quality education, the voting uh, sup- suppression that was done and continues to be done in our country. So we see that in every age, this red thread of racism has in some way held us back. It has not allowed us in some way uh, to achieve who we are as uh, 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 people who are equal uh, with justice under the law. And uh, that, that, I think, erupts every so often uh, because people, after a while, just say, we can't take it anymore. And that's what's happening now here. There, there is a better way. Uh, mm-hmm. this, 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 we can fix this. That's the hope we have here. And I see the hope in the eyes and the, and the voices of the young people who are in the streets. As I said, there are cross racial lines. These are well-educated young people who mm-hmm. are black and white, brown, and of every race, who are saying to themselves, we want a better future for ourselves and our children. We don't want to have to live this again in, in our lifetime. We want to deal with it. And that gives me
2: hope. And now another line that you said in your conference yesterday was, only the hard work of familial love will set us on the path toward justice. Say more that's about right. that. Because well, that's a great I,
3: line. And I use the word uh, of family because we have to see that we are one family. This Sunday, we're celebrating the Feast of the Trinity. The Trinity is a feast of the family. You know, mm-hmm. we have Mother's Day and we have Father's Day, but we have Family Day, and that's Trinity Sunday. It's Relationships. It's the, it's the family, it's a family of God. And, and God, in giving us His Son and making us His children, His sons and daughters, giving us divine life, is really an offer to join God's family. That's the invitation. Huh? And, and that's the, mm-hmm. that is what we should aspire to, uh, really understanding that, in fact, we cannot claim to live the life of God if we do not claim each other as brothers and sisters. Because Jesus says, who are, where am I in your midst? I'm in the least. People in your family who are overlooked. People that you don't allow a place at the table. If you don't allow them at the place at the table, then you're not allowing me, and you cannot enjoy the family of God. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very basic,
2: huh? Now, if you connect what you just said with what we've been going through the last two and a half months since about March 15th, the whole COVID-19. That is, how would you now connect this racial tension we're going through with what we've been going through? I just know that people for the last two and a half months are stressed, tired, angry. And just this week, in fact, officially today, moving to a new phase and we've been been relocked into our homes again. So let me ask this, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the church And its many ministries?
3: Well, I think it's for us all made made us more creative in trying to keep people together. I'm really proud of our priest. I think our pastors have done a splendid job in trying to keep people together and and in some way um, united in this moment, even though they're distanced. Um, I'm getting a lot of letters about the Sunday Mass Mm -hmm. on ABC 7, uh, on the live streaming that's taking place. Uh, A lot of people are consoled that the church is reaching out, even though we are uh, distant. But there is this uh, 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 pent-up thirst and hunger for coming together again. And that's why we're reopening our churches, uh, starting phase two, allowing a greater number of people to come to uh, to church and keeping them safe as well. We hope that that will move forward. But no no doubt, there is a frustration on the part of people. People, we're social beings. Uh, mm-hmm. we, there, there, we and, and that, that's so, that that sense of wanting to live our life in society should now spur us on to make a social commitment to those who are left behind. Th- that's why I think where where we have to we have to have a discussion now. Yes, we, we want to get out. We want we want to be with others. We want to socialize, but we also have to make now a social commitment to people who are left behind.
2: Isn't you that's, say because that's uh, where it has to go. I have a task force at the cathedral that has been working to get the cathedral reopened. We were all set to open, reopen yesterday at 12 noon for prayer. I had to send out a emergency email blast to the whole faith community that we're not reopening yesterday at 12 noon. Now, people were disheartened. They understood, but they're disheartened. So now there's been just a setback before we reopen. And then along those lines is, you know, talk about the wonderful response within the Catholic Church during the pandemic, pandemic, as you have mentioned, and now moving forward. Uh, you know Maybe just talk for a moment about the signs of hope. We can talk about what is not happening, but as you mentioned, many great things are happening, from Catholic schools to online ministries and masses, and I think you've been surprised by the number of letters you have received with some wonderful, positive comments.
3: Well, that's true, and the other thing is I know that, uh, for instance, uh, I'm proud, like I said, of our pastors, but also of our teachers and our principals. Mm-hmm. We have we have we have kept in touch with all of our students through e-learning, and we're very proud of that. I know other school districts have struggled with it. We saw a report in the paper the other day that um, 60% of kids, only about 60% of kids in public schools, uh, uh, had a daily contact uh, through e-learning. Uh, we we we've been able to uh, keep all of our kids. Uh, involved in in e-learning, and I think we want to make sure they don't fall behind. Uh, So I'm proud of that. I'm proud also of um, the way that um, uh, many people have stepped forward now to be volunteers. You know that yourself over the cathedral. uh, There are folks who are saying, yes, I will come forward and I will help sanitize. I will help usher. I will help uh, monitor uh, folks who come into church as we reopen them. Uh, So uh, people are good and yes. they, really want to, they really want to help. We just have to make sure that we give them the opportunity and structure the help in a way that's going to do some good. That, that's really what, we have, that's what leadership is about.
2: We've had over 40 people from the cathedral step forward to do just exactly what you said. Now, you have had this, and I've had it also, people saying even a month ago, six weeks ago, open the church, open the church, things aren't so bad. But the thing you have always kept stressing from day one is the safety of, of people the safety of people so maybe just a moment of conversation on the safety of reopening our churches at the proper time
3: well let's just be honest this is a various danger this is a very dangerous uh contagion people die and we see this 110,000 people now in this country have died we have had uh, millions of cases uh, here and around the world Uh, this is still very dangerous and the contagion can erupt again uh, I know that there are people who are protesting uh, that we're keeping we, we're going slow. Uh, these people, however, are loud but they're not large, and I think the vast majority of the people we're hearing for are saying we support you. You have our you have our health uh, as your priority, which it should be, and so we're, we are glad that you are taking your time and being deliberate. Let's remember, the the state did not close the churches. Or the schools, I did. We did in the archdiocese. We made the decision before anybody else did on March 13 to go ahead and close everything down because we saw this coming, and we had it as our priority the safety of our people. And it was it was that initial that initial uh, action on our part that I think also gave courage to others to to uh, uh, close down to have the shutdown. So we're not being dictated by the state at all. Mm-hmm. We are cooperating with the state. We want to, we, we're listening to healthcare uh, professionals, but we took the decision ourselves because we made the priority the safety of our people, and uh, that's what I would say to people who are, who are upset that we're not going quicker. Uh, uh, I have the responsibility, we have the responsibility as pastors to protect the safety of people, and that's what we're doing.
2: And what really scares me is uh, an individual can be COVID-19 positive, feel terrific, show no symptoms, and put me on a ventilator. By coming in contact,
3: that's right. And when people say, "Well, I want my freedom," I'm going to ask them, "What do you, What do you say about your freedom when, in fact, you have a tube stuffed down your throat yeah. that allows you to breathe? That yeah. then, then, where is your freedom?
2: Yeah, um, and, I, and I, I think what really I think you know scares me is that uh, we're dealing with an enemy we can't see. Now, my big fear with all these uh, protests the last several days across the country is: Are we going to now spike in the next two weeks because? There's been very little social distancing the last couple of weeks. You would think by watching on TV, this whole thing is over.
3: Well, the thing is this. Sir. Let's remember, the outbreaks in Spain and Italy, especially northern Italy, came about when, in fact, people together came together at a soccer game in, L- in Lombardy. And mm-hmm. that's, where it, that's where the outbreak happened. That's where it happened and how it was spread so very quickly between Spain and Italy. It was that event. We could see the very same thing of an outbreak and a real spike here. As a result of
2: this, I had not heard that story about that a soccer game between Spain and Italy. That's fascinating. And it was just the last minute or two. Any closing comments for all our listeners? A sign of hope in the Lord. A moment of peace. Just uh, any closing thoughts, Cardinal? Well,
3: we're, we're a great country. We yes. have we have wonderful people, and I'm seeing that time and again. Let's let's in fact be encouraged. Let's do our part. Let's make sure that we talk to our children about. Uh, the racial inequality, the history of what's happened in in this country, and that we want to offer them a better future. Uh, These are very big problems, but there are fixes, and we can do it if we come together and take up this uh, challenge together. Uh, That, I think, can be our finest moment. They talk about the people who responded during the Second World War as the greatest generation. Why shouldn't we want to be the greatest generation now that fixes the problem of the historical problem of racism in our country? That would be a wonderful legacy to leave to our children and grandchildren.
1: Our thanks to Cardinal Cupich for taking the time to talk about the challenges we currently face as a country and as Catholics. Stick around. After a short break, we will hear from a priest who ministers in one of Chicago's poorest neighborhoods. We'll be right back.
5: Throughout our nation and our world, people of all faiths have recently been joining fervently in all kinds of prayer. They have found that coming together in prayer is a source of comfort and strength. In this spirit of unity, the Archdiocese of Chicago has introduced a call to prayer, a telephone line dedicated to prayer. If you would like to join with another person in prayer, call 312-741-3388. This line is staffed from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily with parishioners from across the Archdiocese of Chicago. These volunteers are here to listen to you, offer support, and pray with you. A call to prayer includes a 24-hour voicemail and email options as well. Experience this wonderful opportunity to join with people just like you who trust in the power of prayer. That phone number again is 312-741-3388. Let's pray together today.
0: We invite you to watch Catholic Chicago this weekend, featuring a conversation with Cardinal Blaise Supich and video highlights from across the archdiocese. Here's host Todd Williamson.
1: We'll talk with Cardinal Blaise Supich about the outreach efforts underway by the Catholic Church to help people in need during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll show you how online masses have become a common way of worship, and we'll give you a sampling of how teachers and students in Catholic schools are being creative and productive during the health crisis.
0: Watch Catholic Chicago Friday at 7 p.m. on Chicago Loop Cable, Channel 25, and Sunday afternoon at three on the Comcast Network, Channel 100.
5: There's nothing like having a friend to talk to when things are not going well. And in these challenging days, everyone has had moments when they are discouraged, sad, or worried. Catholic Charities wants you to know that we are here. If you or someone you know would like to share your concerns with a professional, call 312-948-6951. Anytime, day or night, and you will be connected with an experienced counselor who will listen without judgment and offer compassionate, confidential advice that you can trust. That phone number again is 312-948-6951. Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you.
6: Throughout this pandemic, Catholic Charities continues to develop the most effective ways possible to respond to the needs of our clients and communities. In the past month, our call center has received 250 calls a day for emergency services. More than 450 seniors are being visited by home care aides who help them with housekeeping, groceries, and personal care. Mental health services are being provided to more than 600 people via phone and video. Our friendly, knowledgeable staff is working nonstop, so we are always ready for whoever might reach out to us next. If we can be of assistance to you, email us at
7: gethelp at catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7700. That's gethelp at catholiccharities.net.
6: Before, during, and after COVID-19, Catholic Charities is here for you.
0: You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9:50 a.m. and 9:30 a.m. every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. The Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. In our next segment, Catholic Chicago host Father Greg Sakowitz welcomed the pastor of St. Columbanus Parish in Chicago's Park Manor neighborhood, Father Matt O'Donnell, to the show. As someone who ministers in one of Chicago's poorest neighborhoods, Father Matt has had a first hand perspective on how communities of color are affected by both the pandemic and the death of George Floyd. Let's take a listen.
2: Matt, welcome to the program this morning. How are you, Matt? I'm
6: doing well this morning. Thanks, Father Greg, for having
2: me. Oh thank you, and it uh... You know, Matt, if you had told me in early March that by early June, all this would have transpired about stay at home, you know, COVID-19, racial unrest, I would have said, Matt, you're on a cloud somewhere. Never have I seen our world so flipped upside down in such a short time. And let's just take it, you know, maybe one step at a time. Let's take it back. Let's begin with the present situation and move backward. Um... How are you feeling right now and reacting to the whole situation that we've seen the last several days?
6: You know, as a pastor on the south side in the Park Manor neighborhood, uh, I just I I have a mix of emotions. There's uh, a lot of anger uh, over the death of George, George Floyd, a lot of sadness about what I've seen happen here in our neighborhood and the surrounding communities
2: around Park Manor, across the South Side, West Side. Now, has your neighborhood been affected? Has there been blown out windows?
6: So there's a few businesses on 71st Street that have been. Uh, one of our dollar stores, the currency exchange um, on 75th Street, which is not far from us, a number of businesses there have been affected. Uh, as I move further east uh, towards Cottage Grove and uh, Stony Island, there's a lot more damage. Um, I think one of the One of the businesses that's been definitely hardest hit are the banks in the community. A lot of the ATMs, a lot of the banks have been vandalized and and looted, uh, which definitely has a very negative impact for people who live here in the community.
2: Now, let me ask you this. And the part that I just can't quite figure out, maybe you can get a better handle on it. When it comes to protesting and a peaceful protest, as we have seen by many, many, many people, I get it. I support that a thousand percent. But, Matt, help me understand, what is the purpose of pure destruction, violence, and looting, where even the peaceful protesters are saying to the others, this is not who we are? How do you begin to cross that line? And what is the, you know, it doesn't move the needle to destroy a building or a bank or set something on fire. You know, Maybe help me out there for a moment.
6: Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where there's definitely not an easy answer. You know, as you say, in, our, in the Catholic social tradition, we have a long history of civil disobedience, and protesting is definitely a part of that, and I think that's why, as a church, we can understand why people would want to use their voice to speak truth to power, to ask for change in the community. Uh, when it comes to the destruction and the damage and the violence that has also gone with, with all of this over these last days, I don't think that there's really an, an easy answer. I've spoken to people in the community um, some of our college students here at the parish. And for some people, it's just this this rage and this anger that has been bottling up inside mm-hmm. of people, this anger that people have been told, you know, not to really talk about, um, to just sort of try to, to move on with life. I think after, you know, the downtown area of the city was sort of shut down, it just naturally and organically started to happen here on the south side. And what I could see from being here in the parish and and walking around the neighborhood and trying to just be present as a priest in the community is that it was sort of, as people saw that it was happening and the police weren't able to uh, really stay on top of everything that kept popping up in different areas, um, just more and more people were participating. But I think, you know, I've had to remind myself, and one of the things I've talked at the parish about is sort of cautioning placing blame on people right now mm-hmm. um because i think there's so many emotions so many raw emotions that are trying to be expressed um and then i think too there's lots of conversation in the neighborhoods that there's agitators people who are coming in from outside of the neighborhood who really set off a lot of what's happening so i think we're yeah, I in think the process part of it yeah we're in the yeah. process of working with other community groups and organizers to really unpack what's been happening and think about a path forward
2: yeah and i think that uh Rather the, head. the agitators from the outside are really destroying what the rural mov- movement is about. But I guess my question to you is, uh, how long does this go on? I mean, Saturday night, if take it back, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Last evening I think it was a bit quieter, but still some uh, outbreaks. So I guess my question is, how long does this go on? And what is it to prove when you go from mall to mall, major thoroughfare street to another, and blow out windows and steel and talk about literally, you know, you saw in video, we have talked about it like a drive-by restaurant or drive-by fast food chain. It's like you jump out of your car, you run in, you load your hands up, come back, next car pulls up. It's like, what is the purpose of that? That is not furthering the cause or moving the needle in the right direction.
6: Yeah, I don't think that there's a, a, I don't know the timeline, you know, and when it'll end. But what I do know is here uh, on the South Side, there's organizations and churches and fraternities and sororities and just people of goodwill who are out in the neighborhoods the last couple of days cleaning up after what's happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's going to really bring an end to um, some of the destruction that's been taking place, because the community is frustrated. Um, I know my neighbors are frustrated, and people, you know, have been afraid the last couple of days to really be out uh, and, and a lot of the businesses in our area, whether they were vandalized or looted or not, are boarded up and closed. Yeah. So there's definitely an impact, the restaurants around us. Um, and I think as people were excited that this week things were going to start to open up in the city of Chicago, now it's another moment of waiting. And I think that will have an impact on bringing some level of, of calm to the city. But I also think it's when there's certain demands that have been asked by some of the protesters might start being met. So, I know a lot of people are looking to Minneapolis and wondering when those if and when those other three police officers might be charged. I think I heard I yesterday here, that
2: the um, the state of Minnesota has sued the Minneapolis police Department. police Department. Yeah. I've never heard of something like that. That's that's yeah, incredible. That's
6: what people are asking for is reform and mm-hmm. accountability and I know that's what there's many in the city of Chicago that are asking uh, the mayor and the police superintendent for at this time. And I think all of that going together and the conversations that are happening and what we're doing in the archdiocese all contributes to really bringing a sense of healing and reconciliation. And again, trying to discern, well, how do we move forward? What do we do next? How do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Now, I
2: also want to say, Matt, you and I have both met tremendous, tremendous, uh, dedicated police officers, men and women who have done such a phenomenal job and I think they, there Absolutely. has to be a shout-out for them. And But again, a comment you made earlier is with this whole COVID-19 going back to about March 14th or 15th, and we've been staying at home as best we can, and then just this week when things are about to open up, it's disheartening that we've been driven back into our homes. And if you, you know, couple it with this, many, many restaurant owners that I know are hanging on by a thread to get their business reopened this week, and many of them – can't get their business reopened because they've been destroyed, and so you begin to wonder how do you move forward from this? Where you know it's almost like you anticipate the start of something, and you're told you can't reopen. Like we were going to reopen the cathedral yesterday. Uh, had you already opened up your cathedral or your cathedral, your parish?
3: We
6: we did open on Monday for private prayer.
2: So you got one, what or two days then. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, it's a slow thing, and uh, and now. As you you know, as you talk to your people, um, how does the COVID nineteen pandemic disproportionately affect communities of color?
6: Yeah, in the city of Chicago, I think over these last weeks, um, it's something like sixty percent of COVID nineteen fatalities have affected Black residents of Chicago, even though only thirty percent of the city of Chicago population is African American. I mean, I think that speaks to something that's much deeper um, about health care and equality in the city and the access that people have to preventative health care. I know in speaking to people at our food pantry who come from the neighborhood early on, there was people who had symptoms. and would go to the hospital and they would be told because the tests weren't available. No, you, you don't have it. Don't worry. It's pneumonia. It's the flu. It's a cold. And they went home and they ended up infecting or spreading the virus with other people that they lived with. And I think that was a part of what happened so quickly. I mean, one of the things that we did at the parish and we continue to do is, you know, we've, we've passed out over 7,000 masks to people mm. in the neighborhood, um, because that was one of the things that I saw very early on, is that people didn't have access to that. And it wasn't, there weren't stores in the neighborhood that were selling it. And, and, and for many of our residents, especially those who are poor, they didn't have the ability to just pick some up. And so that's one of the things we've been doing to really try to help prevent. Because at one time, the zip code in which St. Columbus is, 60619, was one of the five hardest hit areas in the city of Chicago. Mm. And so our food pantry has remained open this entire time and serves four to 500 people every week. And so seeing people every week, hearing their stories and trying to really respond to what their needs were besides just giving food has definitely been the focus of myself and the staff and the the parish here at St. Colin Bayman.
2: Now, as a brother priest to a brother priest, um, sometimes people forget that we priests are human and have feelings, and we cry, we're joy-filled, we're tired. So how has this whole pandemic and what's going on the last few days affected you as both priest and as a a man?
6: I would say that uh, I'm definitely tired. I haven't taken a day off since all of this started Uh, part of that's my own, you know, doing, um, but it's just that every day there's, there's so many generous people right now, which has been the place of hope for me. Um, people who want to get food, people who have donated money, people who want to come and help. And so, you know, on the days when normally I might have some free time, um, you know, people are delivering food. Like this morning, we just got 5,000 pounds of meat delivered. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been trying to, to be present like that for people who want to contribute to, to helping bring healing.
2: And so what has been your experience as a priest who ministers to COVID-19? Like, I'll run to the hospital for someone dying at Northwestern, but they have to be a non-COVID-19 patient. So just describe that world to be a priest who ministers to an individual dying of the uh, coronavirus
6: been a very uh, powerful and humbling experience over these last two and a half months of being able to, you know, celebrate the sacrament of the anointing of the sick with people who are in imminent danger of death from COVID-19. And and I think the biggest reason is that for most, if not all, of those patients, they don't have the opportunity to be with their family Mm -hmm. uh, in those last day or moments of their life. Um, It's been just amazing. To, to walk into some rooms and people who are alert and who know that I'm a priest are just so excited. Um I mean one of the one woman that I was able to celebrate the sacrament with a few weeks ago, uh, I brought communion so that she could receive communion and to pray, you know, again the, the prayers for the anointing of the sick. And she just lit up and she began to cry and she just said how it's been months, you know, since she's been able to receive communion and go to church. Um, so just how how grateful she was that I was able to, to be there with her. And I think that's been the story. And talking to families after I've been able to anoint their loved one, talking to the patients themselves, just a real sense of gratitude for myself and the other priests who continue to go.
2: Now, am I right in saying that uh, if you're in the hospital with COVID-19, no family member may come to visit you? Is that correct?
6: In, in almost every instance, yes. There, I know there have been... Uh, times when some hospitals or nursing homes have allowed one family member in maybe for a few minutes, um, but most of the time it's the family contact has been virtual, whether it's through an iPad or an iPhone or, or some other type of device.
2: Which means many of these people have died alone. Yeah. I mean, that just breaks my heart when I've talked to family members who have lost a loved one you know, to COVID-19, and they say, we couldn't be with mom, we couldn't be with dad or my brother or my spouse, And uh, that's got to be gut-wrenching. In fact, I'm sure that when you've walked into rooms of individuals dying, you have brought messages from loved ones to share with the person who is dying.
6: Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that I've tried to do. And I know many of the other priests who are anointing people with COVID have also tried to do is to make sure that we reach out to the families before and after. And, And even, you know, just that, you know, hey, I talked to your daughter before I got here. Just that little bit of, like, connection with yeah. their family, yeah. I think is all—I don't know. In some ways, it's probably just as healing for the individual as actually celebrating the sacrament and, and offering the prayers.
2: Now, as a priest to walk into a room, like, for example, when I've walked into a room in the last month or so, I've got the mask and gloves. But now, in your situation, when you go into a, a coronavirus room individual, um, you're are you dressing up in that whole hazmat outfit?
6: So in many of the hospitals— Yeah, we all have to wear the PPE. So in some hospitals, we have a hairnet on, we have things on our shoes, we're wearing the gown, a mask, uh, a face shield, um, obviously gloves um, to be able to celebrate the sacraments safely, not just for the individual that we're coming to see or for ourselves, but then also when I leave the room. Um, That's one of the things that we have to do, too. As soon as we get home, you know, I leave from the hospital or nursing home, I come straight home. I throw my clothes in the wash and I take a shower um, to make sure that you know I'm keeping myself safe here at the rectory.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, do you live in the rectory there alone?
6: So we have a retired priest uh who lives here too and then uh, a priest that's been staying with me who up, teaches up at Mundelein. So it's been good to have other people in the house.
2: Oh yeah, I mean I, some of our brother priests who live alone and I, we we both know many. It's really yeah. going to be hard. Who do you who do you share this with because You know, I haven't seen my family, haven't seen friends, haven't been out socially in three months now, and as we begin to open, it doesn't mean this whole thing has gone away. In fact, my fear is, with all the unrest that's been going on, are we going to re-spike again in the next couple of weeks?
6: Yeah, I know that's definitely one of my fears and places of anxiety over these weeks is every Wednesday when we have our food pantry. Uh, And just praying and hoping that as we continue our act of charity of Giving to our neighbors, that we do it for our volunteers and those who come as safely as possible, and I think that's one of the places where I definitely feel incredibly blessed uh, is that I've been able to stay connected to people through our food pantry and through the different ministries that we've had going on to really respond to the COVID-19 crisis.
2: And I'm sure there, you have been a sign of hope when they see you as their pastor, that you know you are the, the captain of the ship there and that you are walking with your people. And just to kind of flip gears, uh, gears again, and that is, uh, how has the death of George Floyd, now we're talking about his death, uh, not, not the protest, peaceful or violent, but how has his death affected your people?
6: I think it's, it's caused further outrage and anger and disappointment. You know, unfortunately, George Floyd, he joins a litany of other people, In our country, who have lost their lives um, because of police violence. But also, this past weekend, you know, more than 80 people and more than 20 people, more than 80 people were shot and more than 20 people were killed because of gun violence. And over 70% of victims of gun violence in the city of Chicago are African American. More than 90% are people of color. So -hmm. I think what happens when there's moments like this where a person like Mr. Floyd loses his life in a public way and it's recorded, it causes trauma for the community and it causes anger uh, in the community. And I think that's where, you know, I as a priest and a pastor ministering here at St. Columbina have a responsibility to find ways to help respond to that. And and the biggest thing and what I know right now that I'm supposed to be doing is listening. It's yeah. listening to the emotions, listening to people's feelings, listening to what the community wants to do next, and really trying to lead um, while standing with the community and sometimes even while encouraging them to take
2: the lead. Now, that's a great gift you can offer your people just to be able to listen, let them vent, but also provide direction. And, um, and also, am I right in saying, Matt, that is the weekend before Memorial Day weekend was the greatest amount of violence we've seen in Chicago in the last five years
6: definitely and i know living here uh on the south side and and again hearing the stories of people that i know from the community it it takes a toll on people and um it's not something that people ever get used to unfortunately it becomes very normative and there's sort of an i don't know an expectation i guess on the weekends that unfortunately this is what we all brace for and try to prepare for but again i think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of and most grateful of during this time is that our church, and not just St. Columbanus, but the archdiocese and parishes throughout the archdiocese have really remained open during this time. Because as COVID has, you know, affected the black community at a disproportionate rate, that has an effect on everything else that's happening in the community. And the same is true for the violence that has been happening. And I think all of that uh, has really boiled over now as we've witnessed as a nation and as a world, uh, the death of George
2: Floyd. Here's the thing. As priests, we have to be uh, men of hope, but we're rooted in the gospel, rooted in the Lord through prayer. And so as you listen to your people, what is the message of hope you're offering? I mean, when you think about it, Matt, I'm 67. I'm much older than you. I've been a priest now 40. In fact, I've been a priest longer than you've been born, 41 years, which, you know, I knew I was old, but not that old. But uh, I've, been, so I've been a priest 41 years. I have never in 41 years experienced, we've experienced the last three months, to go from this stay-at-home COVID-19, which is far from over. This is not mm-hmm. over. And the same time, and I was around in the 60s with the racial tension and the violence from the Democratic Convention of 68 and also the death of uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, I was around for that, and that was pretty rough. But this, I'm telling you, uh would match it or top it, but also coming off of COVID-19. So I think as you listen to your people, what can you say to them without patting them on the head that really gives them that sign of hope that we'll get through this and there's light at the end of the tunnel?
6: So I think the most recent thing is hearing Pope Francis this morning uh, say the name George Floyd. To know that the Pope wow. uh, hears the And understands and recognizes what's happening in the United States and not in a generic way of saying hey I see the protest that's happening but actually said the name George Floyd that's what all of this is about black lives matter Um, that's what the protests are about is that the names of the people want and need to be remembered and Mm -hmm. I think to hear the Pope actually say the name mr. George Floyd is a powerful sign of hope and it's something that I'm gonna really encourage the community and then that translates here in the United States. You know, Archbishop Gomez and his statement, Cardinal Supich and what he's calling for in, in the, the reconciliation work that we need to do and the healing. Um, all of that together is a sign that the church is going to remain present and that the church wants to find a way to respond. And I think ultimately it's the church and people of faith that are the ones that are going to be able to bring healing to our world.
1: Our thanks to Father Matt for taking the time to share his unique perspective with us. Our prayers are with him in his ministry. Our final segment comes from our Dare to Love program. This month, Sister Lovina checked in with part of the vocation team with the School Sisters of Notre Dame. Here is a highlight.
7: My special guests for today, who are School Sisters of Notre Dame, are coming from two different states. Good morning. Uh, The first one uh, that we have is Sister Bridget Waldorf, who is, I believe, in Dallas right now. Good morning, Sister Bridget.
4: Good morning, Sister Lavina. Yes, I'm in uh, Dallas, Texas.
7: All right. And then our second guest is also a school sister of Notre Dame, otherwise known as SSND's Sister Jill Laszuski. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Sister Jill?
8: <laughs> Close. Thank you for trying, Lavina. Sister Jill
7: Leszewski. Leszewski. Okay. Yes. And you are living where and you're staying where right now, Sister Jill? All
8: right. So I'm living and ministering out of St. Paul, Minnesota.
7: Oh, you're in Minnesota. For some reason, I was thinking, uh, I think I, I've got you um, uh, confused with someone who's living out east. So Minnesota is on central time, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. So, all right. That Well, that that's good. We start out bright and early here at 8 o'clock um, in the morning in Chicago. And I was thinking that, you know, you didn't have to get up, you know, like um, at dawn this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're good. <laughs> so, um... We're we really would would like to know more about the school sisters of Notre Dame. Uh, several months ago, we had one of your sisters who used to be part of Kava as a member and actually a board uh, member for the advisory team for Kava, um, Sister Mary Kay, and now uh, the two of you are on uh, the vocation team because Sister Mary Kay has been uh, is is doing something else. Is that correct?
4: That is uh, correct. Yes. Sister Mary Kay has left us for uh, leadership in our congregation. So she's no longer on the vocation team uh, per se, but uh, as you know well, Sister Lavina, we're all vocation ministers.
7: That is so true. So why don't we start, first of all, with, okay, so you're you're both on the vocation team. Sister Bridget, why don't you tell us a little bit more background uh, about yourself? Um, of course, you're in vocation ministry, um, but we're not all just all about vocation ministry. We're always, you know, first and foremost, serving as sisters, and maybe tell a little bit more of your background.
4: Sure. So I am a school sister of Notre Dame. I've been uh, professed for uh, 19 years now Wow um, my uh, my background really is in youth ministry and campus ministry and high school theology teacher so um, for most of all of my religious life I've been uh, working ministering alongside young people which uh, just continues to give me life.
7: That's wonderful and sister Jill, what about you? ah well i am uh I've been professed
8: oh almost twenty three years okay. and um, I'm a little later vocation so my background before I came to the community was in uh, telecommunications oh. and even as even as I entered community it was telecommunications and then uh, moved to computer support for the archdiocese up here for a number of years and I was also involved with some nonprofits uh especially those that have worked with uh Immigrants and refugees, so more multicultural school for empowerment, which was founded by one of our sisters, and the Eastside Learning Center, uh, which was also founded by the School Sisters of Notre Dame. Um, Wonderful. So, in those capacities.
7: Okay. So, um, and, and then uh, tell us a little bit more about the SSNDs uh, or SSND International, and then, you know, in terms of like what you have in common, your charism, your mission.
8: Sure. So we are an international apostolic congregation, so we're, we have sisters ministering in 30 countries. I believe there's about 2,300 of us worldwide, and uh, our roots are in formal education, but, you know, today we say more broadly, we are educators at heart. So we are ministering in a variety of ways in education and pastoral and social work, in healthcare, care, social justice, the arts, and more. And, and we were founded. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, now go ahead. Because what I'm curious about, um, I'm also a, an educator at heart. Um, in terms of you, like in, in terms of your mission and um, what you do, what is the root of that? Like, uh, what? Because usually when we have our, our founders and foundresses, we we're, we're uh, somehow founded for a reason, not to teach per se, but to respond to a need. What would that be?
8: Yes. Well, you know, we were founded in 1833 in Bavaria when women and girls did not really have access to education. And Blessed Teresa felt very strongly that um, to improve family life, you needed to educate women, you needed to educate girls, mm-hmm. and that family life would only improve when that could happen. So she had a very strong call to serving women, to serving youth, and those who are poor.
7: Mm, that's wonderful. So in what other countries are you, are you at? So I'm sorry, you were. I think I missed that. You were founded where? What country?
8: We were founded in Bavaria back in 1833, Um, and uh, we are in a number of countries, including um, here in North America, of course, uh, Canada, uh, Nepal, Guam, Japan, Africa, Italy, Slovenia. Jump in, Bridget, help me. Um,
4: Uh, You're doing great. (laughs) You're doing great, yeah. A lot of countries in uh, South America. uh, Yes.
8: Hungal,
7: Poland, Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Slovenia. So we're we're around. That's wonderful. <laughs> so have um either of you been you're you're both from Minnesota, is that right? Or at least That's from, correct. Yeah. Yes. Well I am. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm so,
8: a Wisconsinite transplanted, but close enough. Oh. <laughs>
7: <laughs> you're you're still midwest right <laughs> that's right so um have you have you uh either or both been um out in your mission countries at all
4: um i've had an opportunity to uh visit japan we have a uh a program uh where we we sisters can go visit our sisters in japan um it, it, it was more of a cultural experience, kind of an immersion uh-huh. um, to see, to, to know our sisters there um, and just learn more about them. That's uh, great. But I've also had the opportunity to go to Central America where our sisters have been as well.
7: Okay. Konnichiwa. <laughs> that's, I think that's one <laughs> yeah, of them. <laughs> right? Konnichiwa. Yes, very good. There you
1: go. So... Here's a reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. We have daily Masses and Sunday Masses in English, Spanish, and Polish from Holy Name Cathedral. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and PolVision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Be blessed and stay safe, everyone.
0: Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.